John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 472.ac1502, certificate number 23027, the First Council of Nicaea. You just looked at me a second ago and said, aren't we always talking about the Council of Nicaea? I feel like... And we, I don't know if that's true. I feel like we always are. I, are you confusing me with your other uh, Jesuit friends? I know for a fact that I am always talking about it, but I think it may be that I'm always thinking about it even more than I'm always talking about it. But doesn't it come up in this show all the time? I'm sure people will tell us. I'm yeah, sure somebody's right. got a cross-indexed list of every time we've mentioned... There are seven times you've mentioned... but I, you, Various but, creeds. <clears throat> I think you're right. We probably have not talked about it as much as i think uh this show is uh this entry in the omnibus is a request uh a listener who goes by the confusing all lowercase name almost as Mm. far as i can tell oh that's cool included this among uh their list of uh show suggestions with their patreon support seems like a good band name except you'd have to put like a a spurious period in there somewhere like period almost all lowercase. <laughs> yeah, you can't really. It's not an umlaut style band name, right? Almost. All, it could be like all. Well, that looks like Al. Okay, Al, I don't know. Almost. Donnie Most's dad, <laughs> Al. He sold fertilizer. <laughs> I mean, one one thing I thought of is uh, I was a little reluctant just because you know we do a lot of religious hair splitting on this show. Mm-hmm. This, we're the world's leading <laughs> podcast for medieval religious hair splitting. By, I mean, pe- by people who don't know or care that much about it. <laughs> it's it, it's interesting because we are putting, we are encoding this for future listeners who, and, and generally we try and do things that wouldn't otherwise make it through the aperture of the, the apocalypse. Of the catastrophe. And is the First Council of Nicaea a thing that's, that's um, maybe like when Alexandria burned, we lost algebra? Is it a thing that, that... It's possible there are there are so few references to it that all it takes is a few Jesuit colleges to burn to the ground and and nobody remembers what it was. Well, we're in a moment where the the findings of the first council of uh, the decisions of the first council of Nicaea went from you know in the fourth century the most important thing in right. European thought 
the highest stakes decision, which did have consequences for a thousand years. Yeah, still at st- all that was still at stake in 1492, too. All that was still at stake maybe in 1955, like, in, you yeah. know, <laughs> as long as the mass was in Latin, I guess. Um, but we're in a time where what once seemed to be a matter of the weightiest possible concern, both for both in this life and in the eternity to come, uh, it now seems like kind of a funny hypothetical detail because mm-hmm. of uh, because of the the shifting place of religion in our culture. And one of the reasons why I went with this is because you know it's been a while since we've done a religion show, but also. Uh, this is going to go into the vault the week of Christmas, mm-hmm. the the best week of the year for uh, <laughs> for religion. It's when we really, um, you know, put all the inquisitions and the other skeletons in the closet and we say, what about our fun, cozy, pagan-influenced side? Uh, w- would you consider Christianity if it had evergreens? Yeah. If it had more... You've seen Evergreens outside. <laughs> Tell me more. What, what if? <laughs> I'm just spitballing here. What if we, they were inside for about three weeks? But this is also the week that uh, that we stack them up, right? Um, Evergreens? Well, no, uh, 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 holidays, because ha- Hanukkah this week is, or Hanukkah is this week also. Yeah, Hanukkah is the week of Christmas this year, I believe. And Kwanzaa starts, Kwanzaa is the week between. Right after. Right? So, you know, and every every one of those is bringing something in from outside, putting it in the putting it on the coffee table. Right. Um, but, you know, if I could get real for a second. Okay. These are all holidays coasting, not on the religious or theological import of Christmas, but on its outsized cultural impact mm-hmm. in the West. Mm-hmm. Why should only one religious tradition get to have a cool uh, solstice holiday? Heard that. Say, uh, uh, Jews and uh, middle-class African-American families... And they all go by their respective candles because uh, you got to keep up with the Joneses. Right. But it's all the Joneses just, being Jesus in this case. It's all just the solstice, right? Is there any? Right. Even the Christians are chasing all the solstice fun that predated <laughs> them. It's, uh, it's the, well, what we should do is bring giant rocks down from neighboring quarries, carry them on, our, on rolling logs or some you know, pre wheel technology and erect them in the garden would the wheel spoil this it would be too modern no that's the problem get your high-tech wheels out of here we're using rocks this year every since ever since the wheel was invented i think i think piety has taken a real shot to the solar plexus yeah i mean we wouldn't have car culture without Mm -hmm. them we wouldn't have the car horn Mm -hmm. and that's a corrosive thing uh (laughs) we wouldn't have various car horns (laughs) Yeah, it's the darkest time of the year, mm-hmm. and in some kind of, I don't know what kind of Freudian uh, reaction mechanism this is, but for some reason, every culture on Earth is like, let's pretend it's not dark and shitty right now. Light all the candles. Yes. Well, the funny thing is this whole rebirth idea, like, it's, no, 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 it's not the longest day of the year. It's the first new day It's the, the worst time for rebirth. <laughs> rebirth is literally, like, buds are literally three months away at this point. <laughs> like, buds on trees, not the other kind. Yeah. No, those buds, too. I mean, this is the perfect time of year for some of those. Uh, yeah, I gave it a shot. Yeah, that's I, I pretty gave, good. I gave that voice a shot. Pretty good. Um, but... That's lived experience. You know what? That's <laughs> stolen valor. Don't... <laughs> but in this time of year, uh, when... You know, the secular trappings of Christmas everywhere. Let's let's put the Christ back 
in Christmas. Whoa, okay. Let's put the Christology. Let's put the ontology of Jesus of Nazareth. Are we going to have back in center stage? <laughs> ontogeny recapitulate our philology. This is what our listeners probably want: a lot of hair splitting over the nature of uh, God. Yeah, we've we've noticed among our fan communities that uh, people write us all the time. Yeah, Ken, John. <laughs> What's the nature of deity? There are a lot of people that get, uh, well, there are a lot of people who get mad because that's just the culture. That's the style of the time. I think you and I might read it as mad, whereas they are just reading it as um, interest and engagement Fun. with art. Oh, uh-huh. Here's how you engage with art now. A six-page single-space letter <laughs> rebutting art. Um, but in this one, let's, let's, uh, let's assume our natural roles. You are the, uh, the, the scholar of a religion. And I will be the uh, the layperson, the the, the skeptic, the which doubter. is terrible because you went to an intellectual Jesuit university. Yeah, that's true. And I come from the ultimate lay tradition, <laughs> P- pioneer <laughs> pioneer cowboys making stuff up about the Bible. I'm going to pretend that I barely know anything about this, and you be the one that knows all the scripture. I thought you were going to point out what we were discussing earlier is that when people get mad at us. Mm. I pointed out, you, you thought we were going to get in trouble if we don't get the first Council of Nicaea right. Right, but it's all the atheists that are the maddest at us. Yeah, here's my take. The more pedantic you are in your notes to us, the more likely you are to be a very <laughs> dedicated atheist, which means you're just going to believe whatever we say about no, Constantinople. I don't, think, I don't think anybody knows more about the Council of Nicaea than atheists, because this is, this is the thing that they refer to all the time when they try to debunk Christianity and say, oh, it's all just... It, even the early church knew that it was all just a just made up because well, they had to make it up. Well, that's an interesting thing about the Council of Nicaea. You know, it takes place. I mean, in, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know anything about it. So, uh, is that true? <laughs> <laughs> I think you can be a very knowledgeable party here. Right. Um, the Council of Nicaea took place in 325 AD. Even so, AD. Sorry, CE <laughs> for our for our internet friends. <laughs> Uh, they're still trying to make CE happen. Uh, CE. I see it all the time. Here's what I'm saying. 325 years after the life of Christ, there's a crisis where people get together and they say, hey, we have no idea who or what we are worshiping here. How many churches were there at the time? Well, there's a big... There's a big Christian church, but you know one of the reasons why the Council of Nicaea was called, in addition to the Christological problem, is there had recently been a big schism in Egypt. You know, there's all these places are just weeks away from each other, even by parchment. Yeah, you know, even if you even if you send your parchment airmail by tying it to a a bat. This is pre-East-West schism. This is just two churches down the road from each other. Yeah, and, and maybe not even down the road. Maybe one's in Libya and one's in Attica. Right. And uh, as a result, they've all Attica. got different ideas. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> that was a mistake. Should have said Corinth. Should have said Corinth. Uh, and so they've all, got different, they've all got different ideas just because they've got different scholars and charismatic bishops leading them. I mean, there is an overall church hierarchy at this point with bishops and priests and deacons, but there's, they're just a bunch of sects in, in little tiny city. Well, not, you know, yeah. To, to our to our eye, little towns, little clay towns, all with their own versions of of Christianity, and, and this is this is happening over three hundred years, you know, well more than the age of America at this point. After Christ uh, had anything to say at all, is there a Bible yet? Yeah, but I mean, is it the 
Bible? How many Bibles are there? The New Testament, as we consider the the post-Jesus part of the Christian Bible, mm-hmm. seems to have been pretty standardized around this time. One of the characters in our Council of Nicaea story, Athanasius, um, is the first one to set the current 27-book canon uh, of, uh, of what we consider the New Testament, although that happens a few decades after the Council of Nicaea. Where, the, where, where's the Gospel of Judas at this point? There are a bunch of Apocrypha floating around, and a lot Gospel of them are— Mary Magdalene, they're you know, in a drawer somewhere. Yeah, and there are people—you uh, um, know, a lot of them are stuff written by later church fathers, in addition to purported stories of things contemporaneous with, with Jesus's life. Um, but, you know, we have writings from the second century where people are quoting from most of our current New Testament. So— mm-hmm. So our, our canon seems to be pretty much set, even though it's not going to be canonized Dum. for, I don't know, 70 years after the Council of Nicaea. But, you know, if you think about this, if, if we, you know, it'd be like calling a, this is the first ecumenical council ever called church-wide, the Council of Nicaea, because the issues they face are so urgent. But it's still centuries after the life of Jesus. This would be like us com- convening a council today About the Declaration of Independence? Seems like it's happening all the time. But it's even further back than that. Yeah, it would be like, you know what, we finally got to figure this out and get to the bottom of the Constitution. But it's actually 100 years further back. It's about halfway between me calling a convening a conference to figure out Hamlet and you convening a a conference to— To to re-litigate the English Civil War. Yeah, the Constitution (laughs) or something. Well, I don't know what's right in the middle. Gulliver's Travels. Okay. Should we— should we, I don't believe it. Should we organize that? Not for a that? second. We need to figure out what the Lilliputians <laughs> were really up to. Um, Nice. What what was at the time Nicaea in kind of northwestern Turkey, mm-hmm. Bithynia. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Uh, is now the city of Iznik. Oh, good old um, Iznik. The uh, the very location where the council took place became a. Byzantine Basilica, and then under the Ottomans, a mosque, uh, one of many called Hagia Sophia, Hagia Sophia, uh, you know, uh, wisdom. Um, Do we call it Ottomans? Did I say Ottomans? I believe. Like the Autobots? I'm half Autobot and half Decepticon. I'm a half-breed transformer. It's weird because most of the things that happen in Turkey at this time are on the Aegean Sea, but Nicaea is actually on a lake. Yeah, it's inland, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, Iznik's a pretty big, I guess, because of it's on the lake. It's not very touristy today. The, what was the count, what was the hall or the location where the council of Nicaea was held became a local archeological museum, but it's been closed for years. So if you were headed there today, <laughs> Lake Iznik, <laughs> it's not far from, uh, from, um, what is this between the Bosporus and the Dardanelles, the sea of Marmara mm-hmm. or something. That's no, that it's not. Is that the lake you're talking about? It's lake like, lake like, but it does open to the Mediterranean and the Black Sea. That's why it's so important. Yes, that's the place. Here's the main problem. So you've got the you've got these other issues. You know, the Council of Nicaea convenes to figure out when Easter is going to be held. That's a burning issue. Oh, because uh, it was on. It was everybody had a different Easter. Yeah, I mean, is it going to track Passover? Is it going to be lunar? Like, do we need to make it a feast day like all the other saints' days? Um, and then you've got this Miletian schism in Egypt. You know, all these people have kind of broken away, formed their own sect, but now they want to come back. Can they? What does that look like? Are they rebaptized? Are they? So you've got this. But the main question 
is a huge theological one about Jesus himself. Um, Jesus is the problem here. Mm. Uh, the New Testament, the Gospels, which which all these uh, believers would have had, uh, bring us the problem of what's called the Logos doctrine. Now, there are four— Logos. Again. It's always Logos. It is. It comes back to Logos. Your arch enemy. <laughs> Logos, a Greek word for for word, mm-hmm. the, the word for word, but also used more broadly to be any kind of principle of reason or bit of wisdom. You know, it's kind of the way we use word more broadly. A Socratic um, word. Sure. Uh, there are four Gospels, accounts of Christ's life that are now canonical, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the layperson might expect these to be like the four um the four uh, uh, Twilight movies or something where the second one continues from the first and the third one continues from the second. But they're uh, all telling the, the same four, story. fourth one, suddenly Palpatine is back. But no, they are all kind of different viewpoints of the same life, which means there's some overlap. Um, in particular, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three are synoptic, which means they tend to consider Christ from the same point of view and may in fact all be drawn from the oldest text, Mark, or all three of them drawing on some ur text we no longer have, um, but they tend to they tend to overlap quite a bit. Let me ask you this: Why did they put all these testaments together without just trying to edit them into one cogent right. story with a with a non author? Why didn't they make a Talmud out of it? It's an interesting question. Because the Greeks certainly would have done, been doing that for well, hundreds, thousands of years, maybe, taking all these disparate myths from the Dorians and the Ionians and the Aeolians and all these tribes and saying, okay, we got to figure this out. How can there be a Mother Earth goddess here and a sky god here? Yeah. How does this myth about uh, Poseidon say he's the sea god, but then there's these other myths about this other sea god? So there is a lot of this kind of, you know, like modern geek culture of like, how do we create all this lore and all this fan fiction and make it one narrative? Did it seem truthier to have it be all these eye, supposedly eyewitness accounts, even though three of them were written by people that had never met him? Or, I mean, is this is this a a transition between stories that were mostly told as songs first? I have to think that's some of it, or maybe just the fact that the stakes are so high. If you're going to create a—I mean, it didn't appear to bother the compilers of the Talmud to create all these little small referee calls and decisions about uh, many disparate historical points or theological points. A lot of fun stuff to argue about for centuries after. Yeah, but there's less arguing here. Yeah, right. Christianity is a lot more top-down for whatever reason. And I guess— A little bit of a BDS religion. If you're going to—yeah, that's right. (laughs) You do what you're told. Uh, like there are literally whips and flails. Like yes. it's, um, but you know, if you're going to take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and make them all into Mamalu Joe, the, the, <laughs> the master Voltron gospel, um, you know, the stakes are very high that you're going to displease God, right? Like you're, this is, this is Jesus's own words. And maybe, yeah, maybe as you say, the best you can do is just take them as they've come down to us with all the, with all the historical weight that implies. Huh. Yeah, because the writers of the Gospels all, the doctrine is that they were divinely inspired. But I mean, the the Quran is written, supposedly, by one 
writer. Start to finish like Jack Kerouac on an on a amazing bender. Yeah, just like just writing on a roll of toilet paper. Oh, sorry. Don't say That's, that. I did not mean that. And, There's why no... you, and why are you drawing a picture of Muhammad right now <laughs> writing on a roll of toilet paper? That's very disrespectful. There is no way I was saying that. That is That was a complete... Please don't fatwa me. Uh, oh, anyway, I don't mean to derail you, but it's just, I, I, I guess I guess I had never really sat and chewed if you, on... If you were going to sit and make up Christianity, you would not be like, let's have four kind of fragmentary stories of this guy. Um, a lot of the stories will overlap, but they'll also have some contradictions. Particularly if I were convening a giant a church meeting... Uh, and we were going, we were shuffling through all the papers and like, what's the real story here? These guys can barely figure out who Jesus is. They don't have time to synthesize thousands of words of text. <laughs> I mean, it takes them decades to even say, okay, these are the 27 books that are, that are our religious canon. So, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of this overlap. John weirdly does his own thing, tells many stories that are not in the other three. It's typical um, of us. Of you, John's mm-hmm. classic John it's move. Just a, such a John. Do you feel a kinship? <laughs> the uh, you know the, the other three all begin basically the way you and I would if we were going to write about Jesus. We'd be like, "Hey, I'm going to rap with you about Jesus. I'm a cool youth pastor." <laughs> Matthew basically says, "Hey, I'm going to start with his ancestors." Whoa, Mark okay. is like, "Story of Jesus starts here. One day, John the Baptist is baptizing, and this guy appears. You know, Mark Mark gets you in from the start, kind of in medias res. Luke is like, "Hey, a lot of people have told their Jesus stories." I got one for you. Here's how he was born. Like, let me let let me introduce you to his parents. But John goes off the rails. The Gospel of John starts with this kind of quasi mystical philosophical thing about before Jesus even appears, just telling you his you know his theoretical basis. John begins in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Logos. And the Word was God. And later on, by verse fourteen, he's been like, "The Word came down and lived with us." Spoilers: It's Jesus. So, but, uh, but in the beginning, the very first verse of John has this problem, that Logos was is, God. is with God and he is God. Yes. And how do you interpret that second part? Does, it, does is God mean he is that same God he was with? Does it mean he is just divine? He has God-like qualities? Does it mean he is a different God? So, But does the word Logos have any gender? Is it ever used uh, to refer to a person place i mean isn't it isn't it even in greek a concept more than a exactly yeah exactly so you've got this hypothetical you know intellectual and spiritual undergirding for jesus and his essence before you get to whereas matthew mark and luke are like i met a guy yeah here's what he's like here's what he did here's what his family was like it's cool bro let me let me introduce you to when you were coming up who were your guys yeah um, and John's like, I'm going to start with the universe. In the beginning was the word. And this is all very tricky, that he was with God and he was God. Does he ever say bird is the word? <laughs> yeah, the bird is lo- ornithos <laughs> is the logos. Now, um, to its believers at the time, Christianity is still kind of a Jewish tradition. It's it's beginning to, as we'll see, seep into the Roman Empire, and it's going to become Mediterranean-wide, and now the global religion we see today. But it's a, at the time, it's just a Jewish sect, and the early church fathers, many of them thought of themselves as the ones who weren't converts. They thought of themselves as Jews. You know, they were still 
practicing a, a new Jews for Jesus kind of Judaism. Is this a thing where even then the Jews were regarded as a race as much as a creed? I think so. So you know, when you think of them being colonized by you know, you know, by Rome, for example, you know, Rome would have thought of this as a tribe, a tribe whose ethnicity is is indistinguishable from its colorful beliefs. Right. Um, So, so if if you were a Roman and you were like, ah, these Greek gods don't really speak to me anymore, I feel like. I just can't get a, get my head around Aphrodite, uh, <laughs> no matter what you call her. My, I'm so sick of my parents' square religion. I need something that speaks to me. Yeah, I need I need that. I need a guy with a with an acoustic guitar. But you couldn't just go hang out with Jewish tradition because it was because it was a, a tribal thing. Not, not yours. You needed one that was open to all. Yeah, and Christianity is explicitly it comes with that great commission where Jesus says. Um, Something that would have been, I think, really outside of the box for for a Jewish audience at the time, which is this is not just your little chosen people where you keep to yourself. I want you to go to all the world and tell them this important news that I've told you. Yes, um, and that's kind of the game changing thing, and it does kind of lead to the broader question of what was the the thought technology? You know, what was the what what about Christianity went viral, mm-hmm. you know, in the first century? Why was it needed? Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if I know the answer to that. I mean, it's, it, it would be nice to think that it's just the, the appeal of the teachings. This guy says to, we, we got to be kind, right. and he says you need to treat others this way, and that's really the measure of a life well-lived. I guess that, that kind of synchronizes well with what the Greeks, many of the Greeks and the, you know, the Greek-aligned thinkers of the time would have thought about the good life or the right life. But the, they were coming at it from a from like a uh, a deist Jeffersonian kind of like, well, the gods, lol. But let's right. re- let's but, really but, talk about but yeah, utilitarian in a u- utilitarian way. What does make life better? You know, they might. Yeah, you're right. They might be lip service to what pleases the gods, but yeah. really, it's more like what makes sense to me. Yeah. So something about. The Christian gospel reads really well to them. Super modern, right? It just feels like, oh, this is... I wonder if that's what it was like. Yeah. You guys got to check this out. This is it's like, hip. It's like people passing around the Whole Earth catalog or, uh, you know, Byte magazine. Because monotheism just just felt like... Yeah, right. It's like the it's the transition between, between uh, Victorian architecture and Art Deco. It's like no, no, no! You had it all wrong. You, too much chintz, too too many doilies. I mean, monotheism is kind of the center of the problem here, because if we consider Christianity at this point to be, uh, you know, a Jewish sect or tradition, there's nothing more central to Jewish belief even back then than you know what's now Deuteronomy six four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, and the Lord is one. Mm-hmm. We are the monotheistic religion. This mm-hmm. is the Shema that um, even I think even at the time, um, faithful you know devout Jews would have said a couple times a day. The prayer they say a couple times a day: "The Lord is one. He's one God. He's one." That's the biggest thing about him. Of course, if you actually read the Old Testament as a text, it's not at all clear that's what the message is. Sure, you've got Yahweh telling people, "Hey, I'm your God now," but he's not saying. Because all the other gods are BS and they don't exist. What he's basically saying is, yeah, there's a lot of gods out there. Baal, Moloch. Right. But you got to pick me. I'm your God. 
it's it's less mono or monotheism and more what's called henotheism, which is I'm the god of your tribe. Yeah, sure. There's a bunch of gods out there, but but you worship me. For you, it's as if there's just one. Even the Ten Commandments say, "Hey, don't have any other gods before me, and don't make idols." It doesn't say there are no other there gods. are no other gods. It just says those other gods don't worship them, and you don't even make idols of fake ones. It's like the first commandment is don't worship the real ones. The second one is <laughs> certainly don't make fake ones. You you bozos. <laughs> Uh, it does not. It it says seven ble- seven blessings are upon you, uh, and uh, we we worship the old gods and the new. <laughs> but as the old gods fade away, the monotheistic tradition of the Shema becomes so important to Jewish thought. That now, no, nobody is. We've got one guy. Yahweh. Are they arguing that at the time? I mean, I know they don't argue it now, but are, is anybody arguing at the time that this isn't monotheism? This is just what did you call it? Hectotheism. Henotheism. Henotheism. Theism. Hectotheism is when you worship somebody that's Hekaslamin. A guy named Hector. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your body's Hekaslamin. I worship you. <laughs> um, I mean, the problem that's introduced here is is the Logos doctrine. So if mono, if this is a monotheistic tradition with just one God, and the worst thing you could do would be to think about worshiping anybody else, who is this sidekick? Right. Like who is this who is this Christ? So you read the gospels. And it seems to be a story of a guy who has, he's always talking about God as his father. You know, for the most part, he seems to be, it's very easy to read him. It's just a, he's a divine messenger of some kind. Yeah. I'm here to tell you what your father would would say, and, he, and he's my father. Um, now, why doesn't that, why isn't that enough? Why isn't he a prophet just like, just like uh, Siddhartha or Muhammad? Who comes and tells the story? Why does he have to? Why does he have to rise and be divine? It's a big deal. First of all, because there are there are evidences in the Gospels that his relationship with God is as a father is different from the rest of creation. I mean, any football game with John three sixteen signs reminds us that he says, "I'm the only begotten of the Father." Oh. Monogenies. What does that even mean? Like, you know, we think of that like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the that's the verse of football games. But what a crazy claim. The only begotten. Yeah. Like beget means to like to to do it. To, to sire offspring via reproduction. Yeah. It's the same that the same word is the one that would have been used in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible for Isaac. You know, he's not Abraham's only son, but he's the He's the special chosen one of some kind through which a great work will be done. And does that only begotten only appear in John? Is that why John 3.16 is the only thing you see at football games? There are other, I mean, people like that verse because it sums up, you know, it's just a mission statement. God loved us, and that's why there's Jesus. Um, yes. With his, you know, with all that implies. Um because that'll give you life. That'll give you eternal life. If I His were God, power. I would have had a lot more sons than one. Well, that's the whole question. I mean, we call God our Father as well. And there's other verses. You know, at one point Jesus tells Philip, you know, anybody who's seen me basically has seen the Father. He's in me just as I'm in him. Mm. Now, that's a claim you could take a few ways, but the more literal way really is, you know, that, that, that we're unified in some way. And then at one point he tells the Pharisees when they ask him who he is, because, you know, the subtext of all of Jesus' stuff is that he has all this divine power that a normal servant of God, a prophet, just would not have. 
he's always, you know, everybody's like, wow, he's healing and teaching like someone who has authority. Sure. Not just sure. like one of these interpreters. He's turning fish into wine and he's doing all this stuff. Which you, which Magic you, carpet. Which you really hate when you're about to tuck into a piece of fish. <laughs> and you're like, ah! It just turns into wine I've under your fork. I've been sober for 25 years. <laughs> this, was per- this fish was perfectly cooked. And look at this. Um, the... Uh, so when he's saying stuff like this and, 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 you know, exercising all this divine power, sure, that could just be power that was lent him or given him as some kind of messenger. But, you know, the stakes are a little higher. This is jumping ahead a bit, but the stakes are higher because so much of the, uh, the worldview of Christianity, and this is something new that Christianity brings, and I wonder if it's part of the appeal, is that it really says, look, the world's terrible. Look around. Everything's fallen, um, but here's how you get saved. Here's how you rise above that. Christ offers salvation and eternal life, and he does so because he's outside that system. You know, if you have a Christ who's been, who's just some sidekick or messenger fella, then he's created by God, mm. which means he's part of God's creation. Creation is fallen Mm. Ergo, this is a theological problem. How's Christ going to get us out of this mess if he's part of the mess? So what may seem like angels on a pin kind of hair splitting to us really gets to the the core of the claims that are made about the value of the Christian gospel to people. It's why it's an apocalyptic uh, cult like so many others, not to not to be that guy. I mean, you know, that's part probably part of the thought technology of why it catches on. Right. He's coming back soon. This is urgent. End times, end times. Yeah. And that's, that's true whether it's... Put your Nikes on. 180 or 1,080 or maybe 10,080. Maybe some people listening are, are still waiting. Um, so there have basically been centuries, 325 years of this identity crisis, which is Christ sent, or God sent someone, possibly mm-hmm. himself... Possibly his son. We are we are basically we're basi- we're all in on this. We're investing everything on this idea, but we don't quite get it. Is I'm it, is team it one, son. Is it one? What does that mean? You think so? It's either there's one God, or there's one God plus a Jesus, or there's there are two gods somehow. I picture God like so many other Western people. As Wait, a, you picture God like many other Western people? Like many other does Western have, people. Does he have a cowboy hat and spurs? <laughs> he's God. He, God is basically... John uh, Denver. He's the dad from the Dukes of Hazard Because he's got a white beard. <laughs> yeah. And he's kind of burr, poorly, and wise. No, God sits on a golden throne. When I picture God, I don't picture Jesus. And all those weird images of God in these chick tracks where he's sort of faceless... Right. And looks, in those chick tracks, he always looks middle-aged or young, right? He doesn't... He's an Alan Thicke kind of a dad? Yeah, he's just, he's a sort of like, you know, he's he's very blandly, he's almost Bob Dobbs looking. He's Kyle Chandler as God. But I think of, and then I think of Jesus as this young hip dude, so I always feel like when I read about Council of Nicaea, I would be one that was like, no, 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 it, the whole story where he, he, there's a virgin... Like, he's he's half man, half God. Let's call him that. I mean, that's super important to the theological basis of the story, too. Like, obviously, he's a man. He's walking around in in uh, in Roman era Palestine. Um, 
you know, he dies at one point. So his mm-hmm. mortality is super important to that story. He bleeds. He, ble- you know, and, and obviously that's all deeply tied in with this idea of, of his salvific power. So if he can't do that stuff, you know, presumably what's the point? But then he gets resurrected. So he's got immortality like a god. If you believe Mel Gibson, he's a sadomasochist. The uh, the whole evangelical chick tract idea of God as kind of a faceless, mysterious entity is something that comes out of the Council of Nicaea. Like, um, thanks to its findings, Christians are kind of bound to believe in that kind of a more sadomasochism. <laughs> they're obligated to believe in in a, a kind of a mysterious, uh, uh, un, unknowable kind of a. Unfathomable, uh, 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 like a an essence beyond our kid, our can in some way, right? Um, rather than, I guess, what we would naturally prefer, kind of a Zeus with a beard with a chair. But it's a paradox too, right? I mean, it's oh, it's a huge paradox. Can you know, in this economy, building your brand and growing your business online ain't easy. Building your brand. And growing your business in this economy? You want to do both things. You want to build your brand and grow your business online. You know where I would start if I wanted to grow my business online? I would want to have just a beautiful website. Oh, I thought you were going to say buy a brick-and-mortar building in a small Midwestern town and... And and do... Just start selling... pizza? Yeah, just start selling cupcakes. Make, sell pizza to college students? No, you're 100% right. A beautiful, a beautiful website audience. is where you start. I want my audience to like my website. I went to a site the other day, and the website was so bad, I was like, I can't use this business. I punched out of there. What would you recommend, John, if I wanted a beautiful website, but I haven't programmed for the web, as I haven't, in like almost 20 years? Well, you could try and put it all together by... Finding a web designer, finding a graphic artist, I gotta hire somebody. All you gotta hire a lot of people and and try and get them all to work together. Or you can use Squarespace, which is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. The thing I love about Squarespace: the custom templates. Mm-hmm. Like this, it just it just looks good out of the box. You choose the look and feel you want for your site. Tell them what cat what you're selling, what your business is. Bam, they show you a bunch of templates that'll look great for your category. Well, and beyond the e-commerce templates, you also get inventory management, <gasps> a simple checkout process, and secure payments. It's all right there. All the e-commerce stuff is done for you. Yes. That's fantastic. Well, uh, maybe you're starting a business that's by appointment. It is, actually. I want to become an electrician. Oh, by appointment. By appointment only. Well, By yeah. appointment to Her Majesty. I'm not the kind of door-to-door electrician that just shows up and says, hey, <laughs> do all your light switches work? I want people to call me and I can say, yeah, be home between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. and I'll look at your light switches. See, I don't want to use OnlyFans. I want to start my own uh, by appointment. Um, concierge service. Concierge service, uh, like home living room steady cam dance party. Yeah. And Squarespace what, what kind, has all the tools I would need. What kind of dance, by the way? Oh, uh, modern. Oh, I, I interpretive. Was, I was picturing flamenco, but okay. No, it would be you know it's expressive dance, contemporary, contemporary. So a Squarespace site will just have all the calendaring and schedule stuff built in for mm-hmm. my clients. Mm-hmm. Sold. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. So head to squarespace.com/omnibus for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use offer code omnibus to save ten percent off your first purchase of a website or domain. Headed there now. 
There's a spectrum of solutions to this idea. Not all, and not all of them are paradoxical, but the question is, are they heretical? Right. Like, you don't want to get in trouble and have your own sect doing weird things. So heresy is a well-established thing at this time with other religions, right? I mean, there, heresy is... Well, there's always the idea of what's the thing you believe that's weird enough to get you out of the tent? Like, when are you making so much trouble that we'd rather have one fewer butt in the, in the temple, the shrine, the mosque, or the pews than, right. than your weird ideas? Right, okay. Um, and that's a tricky tension, right? Um, but the, I guess the heresies as we think of them today, uh, you know, the, the, the capital letter Christian heresies are just starting to form because back then everybody's kind of writing their own thoughts down about the solution to these theological issues and passing them around and discussing them. Uh, on the spectrum of solutions to the Logos problem, who is Christ? On the one side, you have what's often called modalism. And when it's associated, by this time, it's already been associated with thinkers who maybe are heretics, maybe they're out to lunch. In the West, Sabellianism. In the East, Patropassianism. Modal- Mixolodianism. <laughs> yeah, Mixolodian mode. <laughs> Have you ever written a song in the Sabellian or Patropassian mode? Working on it. <laughs> Modalism basically postulates that God the Father and Christ the Son are exactly the same. There's just one God, one essence, the monotheistic uh, God from Judaism, the Hebrew Bible that we all know and love, um, but he's decided to act in a different mode. But when God is down flopping around in flip-flops in Jerusalem, who's minding the store up, uh, up on the big cloud? Well, presumably, God is omnipotent and omniscient, and that, that's actually the, Gordian, the sword that kind of slices the Gordian knot of this. But I guess the idea is God's both. God's in his heaven— And in a different mode, you know, in much the same way that I can boot my computer in regular mode or safety mode or whatever, God, God, the father can reboot himself in Jesus mode and Uh he's still the same guy, but it's, you know, maybe the analogy for us is like a, you know, a a tech company where the same guy is president, CEO, and chief architect or something, you know? It's, it's small of, enough that the same guy, the same being or essence, has three different roles. Right. So sometimes sometimes I'm the Father, sometimes I'm the Son, sometimes I'm the Holy Ghost. It just depends on which documents I'm signing. Sometimes you're the CTO, sometimes you're the CEO, and sometimes you're the CFO. It depends on how small the business is, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like God now, I'm thinking of the schmoo. Because he can, he's just changing his shape? Well, he's white. He's got a grizzled beard. Wait, but God's yeah. not white? You think God's white? No, white That's robes. Little... White oh, robes. Okay. No, I'm sure he's Ethiopian. The first, or... the first up with people record, I'm sure, <laughs> has speculates about how God is all the colors. God's all the colors, sure. He's a rainbow. He's a rainbow. But no, you know, he's uh, he's got, he's, well, he's he's. Is he? He is he even he's. Well, in the. What does the Council of Nicaea say about that? Well, this is a time when nobody even would have considered that. <laughs> Right, the female divine has been all has been nicely stamped out right, by 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 patriarchal religion. Um, so on the other side of the spectrum from that, we have, I guess, a kind of monarchianism, um, which at the Council of Nicaea is represented by the thoughts of a Christian elder from Cyrenaica, which is now the eastern part of Libya, kind of the Libyan Egyptian border, named Arius. So this um, this belief, I don't want to say heresy, is 
often called Aryanism, not like Aryan with a Y, like right. the Aryan people of the Indian subcontinent. This is the the thoughts of the guy named Arius, and we don't have any of his writings. Oh, because spoilers, they are all burned after the Council of Nicaea. There you go. But his what he's been promulgating is the fact that it's the opposite of modalism. God the Father and God the Son don't have any of the same essence. They don't have any of the same being. They're two totally different uh, persons or characters or personages. And in fact, it's very important to Aaron that they're not co-eternal. That we've only got one God, because we're, we're going to be monotheists. So God the Father is the real God. But at some point, he created a Jesus mm-hmm. and said, here's my son. And he's kind of got an adopted godhood, but he's not co-eternal with the Father, which means you have to reckon with the fact that God is eternal, but Jesus has a beginning. And this is a bridge too far for a lot of the bishops and church fathers. God is Scooby-Doo. Jesus is Scrappy-Doo. <sighs> yes. Okay. Although Scooby-Doo is not Scrappy-Doo's father, canonically? Oh, right. Is, is he? What is he, an uncle? Well, it's hard, hard for me to really say. I don't want to get kicked out. Of the church. But there will always be a Scooby. There will not always be a Scrappy. Why must you always compare? Like, to understand theology, do you have to compare it to 70s (laughs) Hanna-Barbera stuff? I feel feel like the schmoo predates 70s Hanna-Barbera. No, that's true. That's like Al Cap, right? right. That's like old stuff. 40s or 50s. So, yes, God the Father is Yogi. Mm -hmm. The Son is Boo Boo. Or Yoda. He's Yogi or Yoda. And the Son is Baby Yoda. Boo Boo Bear or Ben (laughs) Kenobi. Or Grogu. So, uh, so, so the only way the only uh, way we know about these writings is by reading criticism of yes. these writings. We, all we have is Arius's enemies saying, "Would you listen to what this yo-yo is thinking?" But it's pretty uh, influential because you know it, it actually seems to fit some of the gospel accounts better. You know, Christ saying, "I'm the firstborn," "I'm the begotten." You know. That makes it seem like at one point, he, he, he wasn't co-eternal with God. The God the Father said, I'm going to create Jesus now. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole spectrum within Arianism. There are the semi-Arians who are like, yeah, God and Jesus are different essences, but like they're so, they might as well be the same essence. They're, they're the same kind of divine thing. They're the same kind of being. And then at the other end of Arianism, there's like, oh no, they are totally different. There's only one God, and he's omnipotent and omniscient. And Jesus is effectively a boo-boo bear, a scrappy-doo, a sidekick of, of totally different type and kind and class in essence. How does this relate to Ken Jennings Sr. and Ken Jennings Jr.? <laughs> well, there's no controversy there. Nobody believes, except for people who see my dad in the phone book and call him randomly at night. Nobody believes that we are the same entity acting through two different uh, modes. Does your dad not a little bit believe that? Is he living vicariously you're through not me? His, you're not his only begotten son. There's I mean, I guess, I guess parents always think that, even if they don't realize it, they always think, this is how my self continues past mm-hmm. my death. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that's why we have kids. I mean, we... No, people we have, have kids because we like doing it. <laughs> yeah, we have kids. Accidental we have kids because something <laughs> broke. But uh, I don't know if anybody thinks... That, but, you know, that is a lot of the pleasure of parenthood, is thinking... I see a little bit of me here. Mm-hmm. Uh, on some level, it gratifies me that as I fade and wither, this part of me is still is still growing and prospering. Yeah, at least half of parenting is looking at your child and going, "This is your fault," to to <laughs> to your co-parent. 
<laughs> this is this comes from your side. Um, so with this spectrum of modalism versus monarchianism, uh, there is a middle ground. As early as the second century, um, a Christian apologist in Carthage, not a bishop, so no, no real ecclesiastical authority, but a thinking guy with a with a quill and some scrolls. That's all you need. That's all you needed back then. Mm-hmm. He had a blog. Uh, named Tertullian, proposes this. What if there's a middle ground? There's always a middle ground. He's a third-way Democrat. He's teaching the controversy. He says, look, these are both controversies. Both sides. To believe that God and Jesus are two guys is not monotheistic enough. To believe that God is Jesus... Uh, is too monotheistic. Yeah, that's that's just crazy talk. We That diminishes Jesus. He's not just... He's not just a, 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 a god avatar. Right. He's not just a bot. He says, in fact, there's a trinity that uh, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost are all, are there three different persons, but they're also all somehow of the same substance. And I know that doesn't make sense, but that's the thing about God. We can't comprehend because we're mortals seeing through a glass darkly. This is a mystery of faith. And you just have to accept that somehow... We have this beautiful uh, God who can manifest himself in three ways. And isn't that kind of perfect and special in its way? Where did the Holy Ghost come from? Did he invent that, or was the Holy Ghost also in the mix somehow? Well, the Holy Ghost is in the, is in the mix <clears throat> from the gospel accounts. When Jesus is baptized at the very beginning of his story, the Holy Ghost comes and dwells on him in the form of a dove. So there's already kind of a third divine, but maybe not sentient um, presence in the story. And then when Christ is leaving, he's like, don't worry, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the Holy ghost with you. And the disciples take that to be a, a miraculous moment of, uh, of, of fire and, and divine truth that comes upon them at the first, first epiphany after Christ leaves. But again, all that sort of suggests that he is mortal and begotten because the Holy ghost is, is like, uh, like a God, like a, like a, like a, a raven with a scroll. Right. Yeah, there's not a lot in the Bible to make you think, I'm going to treat the Holy Ghost like God, except that it's except that it's divine. But I guess maybe the idea of, maybe it's just something numerological about having three in one seems cooler than... Sure. You know, two in one is what? It's a McDLT. Yeah, if you're going to plant trees, don't plant an even number of trees. Always plant an odd number of trees. I'll never forget something somebody wrote about the uh, the old comic strip, Nancy which is that it's kind of the platonic ideal of the world. Every panel of Ernie Bushmiller's unfunny comic strip, Nancy, uh, is just, when he would draw a pile of rocks, as the example given, there would always be three rocks. Mm. Because two rocks is not a pile. Mm-mm. And four rocks is one more rock than you would need to draw a pile. So right. in the world of Nancy, three is the perfect number of rocks. Are you somebody that thinks the a smallest few... group? Is three? I think we've done this on Omnibus before. <laughs> yes, and your idea that a couple is three is insane. Yeah, okay. But this is re- very relevant to Tertullian. Yeah. Because he also disagreed. He's like, no, a couple's... A couple is not a few. A couple is not a few. But a few... We got to have a few gods. Right. God, In Jesus, one. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So this idea has already been proposed that there's a middle way. But there's a broad spectrum of thinking in Christianity. So in the year 325... Constantine the Great convenes what becomes the first ecumenical council in church history. The first of, I think, dozens. Um, Constantine, as you'll recall, is the force of decriminalizing Christianity in the Roman Empire. It's been 
illegal to be a Christian. You'll get eaten by a lion. Um, that, and that's not a that's not a perk. Although I guess you'll go to heaven. Like that's a punishment, right, for being a Christian. But Constantine's mom converts at some point. He seems to be very fa- so. There is kind of this. Um, he doesn't get baptized till his deathbed. I think he knew as emperor, I'm going to do a lot of. I'm going to do a lot of kind of sketchy stuff. Really? I want to make sure I get baptized and have all that stuff forgiven at the last moment possible. Right. So for most of his life, it's not really clear how much of a practicing Christian Constantine is, but he's a fan. And it's kind of like this, the spectrum we have now with how we think about cannabis, where first we're going to decriminalize it, and then, but how long will it be before, before we see Biden puffing on a fatty? It's not clear. Right. Um, maybe on his deathbed. So Constantine... Is it, is it Constantine that relocates to uh, Istanbul now, Constantinople? To Byzant- the former Byzantium. Like, uh, at what point does a uh, Rome become uh, no longer the the center of the Roman Empire? Yeah, that's just five years after the Council of Nicaea. Okay, the, the, so this is all happening. Yeah, the capital of Rome at this point is still the capital of Rome is still Rome. Yes. the capital of the empire is still the city of Rome. But it's in decline, obviously, power and influence have moved east. Too many barbarians. Oh, the Germans just keep Oof. coming in. Oof. They've got facial hair. Mm. I mean, it's it's kind of the vibe right here in this room. Mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a clean-shaven, toga-wearing... Mm-hmm. Roman senator. Roman stoic, thinking a lot about what Marcus Aurelius says about the right life. And then you just come shambling and like, oh. uh, what's up? I slept terribly. Yep. Just chewing on a mutton. <laughs> just, yeah, you've got a big, uh, a big loin of something. You're uh-huh. always holding a loin for We're some reason. Wearing a shearling coat. A shank. And uh, Constantine is like, this is not the vibe. We're, right. we're moving to Byzantium. We're sailing to Byzantium. Um, and he actually presides over the whole conference, even though he's not a baptized Christian. He specifically says, look, this is a new idea to have this big ecumenical council. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for everything. This is all inclusive. I'm going to pay for, there's 1,800 uh, bishops now spread out over the Mediterranean. I'm going to pay the traveling expenses for any of them who want to come. Um, they can all bring two priests and up to three deacons. And I will sit there in my purple and gold robe and observe the proceedings and give them my imprimatur of a, of a pro-Christian emperor. Uh, but I don't get a vote. You guys are going to have to settle this, and we're going to get to the bottom of this, this Logos Jesus thing. Once and for all. It's like Joe Biden and the Democratic Socialists. He's <laughs> who, like, who is who in this case? He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, come, come on in. I'll, I'll forgive some student loans. But uh, I'm not going to meet with the squad. So on May 20th of that year, the, the first Council of Nicaea, as they would not have called it yet, convenes. Um, although 1,800 bishops have been invited... Not everybody comes. The RSVP rate on the Evite is pretty low. It's a long sea voyage for many yeah, of them. Big party, 1,800 people. Yeah, the the, the chronicles kind of disagree on how many people are there. It seems to be about 300 bishops, and maybe many of them have brought their permitted entourages. Right. So there could be, you know, there could be 1,000 people on the grounds. Um, 1,800 bishops is like a new pornographer's show. 300 bishops is like a, a long winter show. <laughs> That's exactly right. They tried to throw a new pornographer's show, and they got a long winter show. But, I mean, this is unprecedented for 300 bishops to be in the same place at the same time. Yeah. Um, presumably, it's a, it's a collegial uh, fraternal elks kind of thing, but maybe there's also 
disagreements. It's funny to imagine that some of them might have been fans of others, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I've read your parchments. They're very good. They're um, the ones that that show up and they all have curly mustaches and they're like, this is what Christianity looks like. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it must have been a big deal. I mean, I'm sure they had traveled to make pilgrimages to sacred places and so forth, but there must have been a lot of energy to have all those guys in the same room. Yeah, different headdresses probably, like <laughs> these guys wearing hats, these guys caps. Bunch these of guys sunburned guys from shawls. Libya who are like, is it cold in here? It's cold in here, right? <laughs> um a couple of the accounts say that there's exactly 318 bishops there, but that seems to be a little bit suspect. That's the exact same number of kinsmen that Abraham sends out on an important mission in, as you, I'm sure, know, Genesis 14, verse 14. So there may be some attempt to to tie their kind of founding of a new Abrahamic religion all the way back to the Old Testament patriarchs. It's just two more than John 3.16. <laughs> yeah, if it, were, if it were only John 3.18. Yeah. What is John 3.18? Would it be good at a football game? Let's see. John 3.18. It's not bad. Whosoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. That's kind of the mean corollary of John 3.16. Yeah. That's like the John 3.16 is the carrot. John 3.18 is the stick. But, but again, you can believe on your deathbed and all is wiped clean. Constantine thought so. Mm-hmm. So most of the time... Most of the weeks of the conference is spent on the Christological problem. Who exactly are we worshiping? Is it one God or is it many? And the Arians have a chance to present, Arius and his, his peeps have the chance to present their idea. And they're like, just read the Gospels. He says, my father is greater than I. How can he be saying he's greater than himself, you yo-yos? He's saying he's the firstborn. Of whom? You know, begotten of whom? Um, the contra-Arians have, you know, the... the Wait Ar- a minute. What? Contrarians are contrarians. <laughs> Whoa! I bet that was a, a a common poster at the time, a common yard sign <laughs> during the controversy. They're saying the same stuff. They're saying John says the word is with God and was God. You can't you can't get around this. You bozos are saying that Jesus isn't God. No, we're not. We're saying that he's and it goes around and around. Um, there's a, this is, since this is a Christmas show, there's a, a popular myth that well, I think dates back millennia to the effect that St. Nicholas of Myra is there, the Bishop of Myra in Turkey. Uh, and he's such a dedicated, uh, contra-Arian. He's a believer in Athanasius and he gets so mad. He punches Arius in the face. Santa is literally there punching heretics. Whoa. Which we don't imagine much in our age of Coca-Cola Santa. No. He doesn't come down your chimney and, um, you know, look and see if your advent calendar <laughs> has all the right Christmas symbols and then Ha-pow! wake you up and punch you. Although that would be, I think that's a, that's a nice addition to the Santa canon. If he's enforcing, he's the, yeah. if he's enforcing, uh, he's the doc- doctrinal purity, he comes down your chimney and he's like, no nativity, Bam. So John is the apostle that knew Jesus. John is the the gospel written by the the one dude that was there in the room. The gospel of John, we call the gospel of John based on our supposition that it's by the guy who was there. The big guy. I mean, Matthew is also named for one of the apostles, but it scholars believe that it postdates Mark. So what are the odds? It's actually Matthew's own writing. Maybe it's an interpretation of something he left or something his followers, blah, blah, blah. John actually says, 
I'm one of the apostles. And specifically, he refers to the apostle John, or the guy who's identified with the apostle John in the other Gospels, as a, as a particularly beloved um, disciple of Jesus. And so the scholarly supposition way back to then was, this is by John. And so the the way out, trippy way that he's writing about all this stuff feels like it's from in the room. This is the way the bros sat at the at the table and talked in the time. Maybe, but remember, this is, you know, we think of you know, the past compresses. Remember, this is literally 325 years later. Right. So this would be like us sitting around arguing about whether Rousseau or or Jonathan Swift would have had a better take on, you know, was Samuel Pepys really at the fire? You know, it's it's pretty old. Let's do that. Even for them. I'll sit and argue <laughs> Rousseau with you all day. No, uh, but this is why they're giving special precedence to the Gospel of John's hot take on, right? Because— I don't know. Maybe. maybe. I mean, I, I think the fact is just that it, it has to be consistent. Right. So they can't say, hey, are we going to believe— Gospel A or Gospel B? Which one is they bra- have to reconcile. Which one is Brand X? Yeah, okay. they've got to reconcile it. And what emerges from this is the Nicene Creed, uh, a reconciliation of the these two ideas, which is which basically goes back to Tertullian's Trinitarian ideas. It introduces the idea of homoousion. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I have no. Yeah, what, have you ever tried that? Homoousion? Yeah, I work on it all the time. It's a Greek word meaning, basically, it's often translated as consubstantiality. That uh, that the Father and the Son have homoousion. They are basically the same in essence, but not. Uh, the, the creed has, a spe- has all these specifically anti-Aryan language mm. dumped in. You know, they don't just say, hey, he's the only begotten. They say, Christ is begotten, not made. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to resolve what that means, but he we're not saying he's— But we're not going back to the— We're not going to say he's not co-eternal, the way the Aryans said. Right. Um, you know, they actually use words like one substance. The whole thing is definitely an anti-Aryan document. And then it comes with anathemas at the end, like a list of things that are bad. So the creed says what we believe, but then a creed comes with anathemas, which are like, and we especially— <laughs> Don't don't buy this stuff. And the anathemas list all of uh, of Arius's beliefs. But consubstantiation is the is the Eucharist is that's, the actual that's transubstantiation. Trans meaning across the substance of Christ, of the wafer is becoming the substance of Christ. This is consubstantiality. The substance of the Father, the essence or being of the Father, is the same as the essence or being of the Son. Even though somehow mysteriously, there are three persons. Mm-hmm. So that's it. That's how the Godhead gets defined. And what's interesting is the Nicene Creed is still in the Mass today. Uh, the Catholic Mass. The Catholic Mass will have, after the homily is given by the priest, what follows is a reading of a creed, and it's either the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. So here we are 1,700 years later, almost, and this— Only three years to go. Less than three years. An anniversary is coming up, as Pope Francis has pointed out. Recently, you know, because of the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, these early texts are what unifies all creedal Christians, whether they're Catholic, Orthodox, or Protestant. The creedal um, Christians shot first. You think the creedal Christians shot first? Mm. Creedal Christian revival? Uh, 
often the these creeds get trotted out for ecumenical purposes. Right. Francis, uh, I think last year was meeting with some Protestant leaders, and he pointed out that we are just three years away from the 1700th anniversary of the Nicene Creed. And he says, in view of this great anniversary, let us renew our enthusiasm for journeying together in the way of Christ. This is such a landmark decision that no less than the Pope kind of considers it a, a birthday, in a way, of, of the Christian movement. Are there any Christian churches extant that do not have the Nicene Creed at their center. Oh, I'm glad you asked. I have huh? some. I have some pamphlets for you. <laughs> uh, How all, does the Ethiopian Orthodox Church treat this? All creedal Christians uh, stand by this. Not, don't just stand by this Trinitarian doctrine, but it's like a foundation of their church. But there are Restorationist movements more recently that plumbing the Bible for you know, hey, if these guys have gone astray, what's the real Christianity? have not been persuaded by Trinitarianism. And the ones that have hung around are mostly 19th century ones, the Jehovah's Witnesses mm-hmm. and the the Latter-day Saint movement, you know, the the Utah Church and all the other offshoots of, of Joseph Smith's movement. Are Arianism? They're, mm, mm, it depends on who you ask. They both explicitly reject Trinitarianism. The Jehovah's Witnesses oh. basically say, um, Jesus is not the Old Testament... Jehovah, you know, we worship Yahweh, God, the you know, God the Father. There's only one of him. Uh, he created Jesus and sent him to do good stuff. So that's basically the the sidekick, boo boo bear kind of uh, kind of monarchianism. That's not underpinning Kanye West's claim that that blacks are the real Jews. I don't see how that's related. Okay, no, but that's a good question. Thank you. <laughs> um. In most Mormon traditions, it's a little more—Mormons will be a little fuzzier on it. Mormons don't believe that the Father and the Son are co-eternal. They do believe that the Father created the Son, um, but you, you Mormons tend to get around all the, I'm the Father and the Father is in me with some yeah, kind of sleight of hand saying, sometimes the Son speaks for the Father. So when he, sometimes when he says, I meaning God, it's the same way an ambassador might speak for a king— or even the fact that, um, you know, they'll, they'll fall back on, you know, Mormons fall back on their own kind of Trinitarianism and say, yeah, the Father and the Son are unified in ways that are hard for us to understand, but mostly, like, they're unified in purpose, for example. You know, they never disagree. Right. Um, so that, that's a kind of, of Godhead, a kind what's, of unity or Trinitarianism, I guess. What's the LDS uh, hot, hot take on the Holy Ghost? Where's where's old Holy Ghost in all this? Yeah, Holy Ghost kind of left out. Third third personage, also unified with the Father and the Son in purpose, but created how, when, who who is he, she, they? A dove. Unclear. Yeah, dove-like shape. So Holy Ghost gets gets left out, and then the triangle collapses. Yeah, triangle's the strongest shape. You got to have a Holy Ghost. Um, so, but except except for those kind of like restorationist sects, who I think you know, and creedal Christians. Um, um, to this day, as a result of the Nicene Creed, would see those beliefs as not just wishy-washy, but absolute heresy, and therefore, you know, to be baptized a Jehovah's Witness or a Latter-day Saint is not sufficient for, you know, if a Protestant converts to Catholicism, they don't get rebaptized. But if a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness does, they do, because they don't 
follow the Nicene or the Apostles' creeds. And this is one of the, the so I've always wondered, like, the, the, uh, the Jehovah's Witness and Mormon sort of like, are they Christian, are they not Christian? From within the, the churches, they consider them, you, Mormon is a Christian from within Mormonism. Yeah, the question is, who, who gets to make the definitions, right. I guess? I mean, with the Latter-day Saint movement, it's a very funny case because the Utah LDS Church has spent years saying, hey, all these wackadoodle fundamentalists out in the desert cannot say they're Mormons. Uh, we get to define that. But at the same time, they're saying, it's such a bummer that mainstream Christians get to say that we're not Christian. Right. Can't have it both ways. I mean, I think, you know, both those, both those churches have the New Testament canonized and preach and worship Christ. So from that point of view, you know, from a layperson's point of view, I guess they're Christian. There's, they're sure reading a lot of Bible verses about Christ and his gospel. The churches look very similar. Yeah, they both came out of a period when American Protestantism was ascendant, and so they borrowed that aesthetic and everything from music to architecture. But um, there's no Christian church in Cappadocia in a hole somewhere where they're like, no, we never accepted the Nicene Creed. Coptics, I think no matter what you pick, um, George Costanza's made up Lithuanian, Ortho Latvian Orthodox or whatever it is, <laughs> I think they would all have the Nicene take on the Trinity. That's It took 300 years, but they got it. And it stuck. Uh, Who were the last holdouts? Well, there were two bishops at the convocation who actually voted with Arius. Arius held his ground and said, no, the church is going astray here. I prefer Arianism, named after me, Arius. <laughs> two bishops agree with him. Um, Constantine uh, exiles them. They are, they are sent to Illyria. Oof, the worst. I mean, today, well, today, what, Serbia, right? That's <laughs> what Illyria is. So, I mean, do you think they deserve that just for having the wrong idea of, of uh, the wrong theological conception of God? They should have to go to Serbia? I mean, you, it seems you, a little harsh. The thing is that it also includes Croatia, which is pretty groovy, right? Although not all, it doesn't get the best part of Croatia, but yeah, Bosnia. Well, that's not where you'd want do you think to get they were like, Do you think they were like, can we go to the nice part from no. Game of Thrones or the whatever yeah, the, what, what, what's the city where they shoot the King's Landing or whatever? Can we go to that part? <laughs> Dubrovnik, right? Is that right? Yeah, right. Can, Dubrovnik. Can we, can it's we nice to, there. Can we go to Dubrovnik? No. You have to go to some weird inland part. <laughs> you live in Kosovo now because you were wrong about Jesus. And all their works are ordered burned. Um, although Constantine later relents. Um, let me see if I can find the account, because it's very funny. Uh, he later decides that Arius can be returned to full communion in the church, but uh, Arius still has enemies. Mm -hmm. um, he never—Arius he uh, Arius never repents. No, but, uh, but Constantine has ordered Alexander, the bishop of Constantinople, to accept Arius back into full communion and, oh. and offer him the Eucharist. And Alexander is pissed. I bet. He's like, well, I can't say no to the emperor, but I can't give the Eucharist to this heretic bozo. So he has uh, his Gordian knot splitting is, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for Arius's death. Maybe, uh -huh. maybe he will die before I have to face the choice of whether to, you know, let him into mass. His um, ship sinks in the harbor. And uh, one of Arius's enemies, one Socrates Scholasticus, wow, that's a bit much, 
<laughs> Instead of saying, nice job, Einstein, we should say, nice job, Socrates Scholasticus. Yeah, methinks thou doth. He recalls what happened when Arius headed for the church in this way. It was then Saturday, he writes, and Arius was expecting to assemble with the church on the day following. But divine retribution overtook his daring criminalities. Going out of the imperial palace, attended by a crowd of Eusebian partisans like guards, he paraded proudly through the midst of the city, attracting the notice of all the people. So in this version, he is strutting. Yeah. He's like, I'm back. I'm back. They couldn't keep me in Illyria. Staying alive is playing. The, mm-hmm. the theme from Saturday Night Fever is playing. And then a piano falls on him. But as he approached the place called Constantine, worse, as he approached the place called Constantine's Forum, where the column of Porphyry is erected, Seems like a bit of a tangent there, Socrates Scholasticus. Do we do we really need a tour guide? There by the hot dog stand. <laughs> Just so you can picture, it's, it's right by the column of Forfrey that you can see to this day. A terror arising from the remorse of consciousness seized Arius. Oh. So suddenly he has an attack of consciousness. And with the terror, a violent relaxation of the bowels. Oh, dear. So he suddenly, uh, suddenly diarrhea strikes, like in a... Pepto-Bismol commercial. Is this at the heart of the Catalonian pooping man as a, as a Christmas ornament? <laughs> I love that Socrates notes that, well, he had diarrhea, and you know why? Because he had a guilty conscience. Yeah, struck by. Because as we all know, sufficiently bad heresy produces diarrhea. He therefore inquired whether there was a convenient place near, mm-hmm. and being directed to the back of Constantine's forum, I guess mm-hmm. the privy was around back, he hastened thither. Soon after, a faintness came over him. And together with the evacuations, his bowels protruded, followed by a copious hemorrhage and the descent of the smaller intestines. Dear God. The worst case of diarrhea in, in church history. Moreover, portions of his spleen and his liver were brought off in the effusion of blood, so that he almost immediately died. He pooped out his insides. He had diarrhea so bad that it killed him. Wow. A fatal case. The scene of this catastrophe still is shown at Constantinople, as I have said, behind the shambles in the colonnade. And by persons going by pointing the finger at the place, there is a perpetual rem- remembrance preserved of, the, of this extraordinary kind of death. So Socrates Scholasticus comes off as a real kind of vindictive a-hole here. He's like, yep, people still point to the spot where that lowlife pooped himself to death, and that's good. Whoa. We can all remember what happens to people who follow Arian heresies. They have they have diarrhea behind the forum and die. How how do you uh, how do you spell Arius? A R I U S. Let me just he, he put the die back in diarrhea. Let me just see if I can find the site. Oh, you wanna you wanna find it on uh, on Google Maps? Yeah, but I, it doesn't. It's, I mean, here's a tip: it's not going to be far from a column of porphyry. Does that hmm. does that show up at all? Column of Porphyry. I mean, from this guy writing in the uh, from this guy writing in the early fifth century, there was a shambles in the colonnade there. So if you see a colonnade that's kind of in shambles, uh huh, that that might be a place to have diarrhea. Yeah, to put the dye back in diarrhea. Well, yeah, okay. So historically, if that account is true, and he did, uh, he did suddenly die right before. Uh, he, he was, was going to take his heretical communion. I mean, there are two possibilities. One is that it's a miraculous death, and he's been, and that the, the Trinity the, was like, boom. The, the council was right about the Trinity, and they, the Trinity, they, or he, they were it. all like, 
perfect. They got it right. And this bozo is trying to screw it up. Lightning diarrhea bolts from heaven. Yeah. The second possibility is that this is a guy that everybody wanted dead. This is the beginning of a, of a Agatha Christie book. And that's the reason why he pooped out all his insides all of a sudden is because the, some of the religious forces who didn't want to offer this guy communion were like, we got to get rid of him. He's coming to church tomorrow and he's prancing around the city. So, I feel like if there was a way to induce a situation where someone pooped out their spleen, we would hear and see it. More. Like it would come up on CSI more. Yeah, it would be like, oh wow. I mean, he pooped his spleen. It wouldn't come up on Murder She Wrote. No, it's no. not the right vibe. Wrong vibe. But Angela Lansbury is never going to be like, well, it was the fatal diarrhea. Of course, it seems like something the Russians would do to somebody in a subway. Yes. So maybe they had early access to some radioactive isotope, mm. you know, perhaps miraculous access. Mm. You know, if you're the Bishop of Constantinople, maybe suddenly you wake up in the night with a vision of, of, uh, of how to turn radium into polonium. Maybe it's porphyry. Maybe porphyry is the, is, is the, the, the missing element. He walked too close to the column of porphyry. Classic Arianist mistake. And that concludes the first Council of Nicaea. The next 20 episodes of Omnibus will be subsequent Councils of Nicaea. We're going to do all the ecumenical councils in order. I'm Mm -hmm. very excited about this new direction for the show. (laughs) That's entry 472.ac1502, certificate number 23027 in the Omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, and the even more unlikely event that you are waving your tentacles in the air, taking a side on the Nicene Creed, although, I don't know, survive 2,222 years. I mean, if God exists, if we concede that God exists, this is the most important uh, Mm -hmm. entry of Omnibus for our far future uh, uh, you know giant photosynthesizing whales land whales because you know they're going to need to know the nature of God that's more important than knowing um, when Millie Vanilli broke up what what is the most recent widely popular God or description of God I mean are we counting like the the internet people with their spaghetti monster oh I don't think so are we counting? It's got to like be are we counting, on. Are we counting David Bowie? Are we counting mm-hmm. Elvis or Princess Di? Too I mean, early to say. There's a lot of these humans that, in death, uh, achieve a certain kind of martyr status, if not worship. But I mean, I mean, I, I mean, God. Like somebody's somebody redefining what the story of either the one true God or the new multi-headed God is. It Jaw? Is it Haile Selassie? Maybe Jaw is is a. Uh, I and I is, agree. Is Rastafarianism <laughs> the last religion? Maybe so. I don't know. T- you tell us. Yeah, you tell us. It's got to. It's got to meet a few qualifications. It can't just be like, "Oh, cool, dude." And it can't be like, "Hey, what about that Kevin Smith movie where Alanis Morissette played God?" Yeah. No, it's, it's got not Morgan Freeman. It's got to really catch on. Yeah, it's got to be like a new definition of God. I mean, maybe the new God is Bitcoin. Internet atheism it could be Bitcoin. <laughs> that may be the thing. In the unlikely event that you worship Bitcoin in your in your spaghetti monster lives, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are, at the time of this recording, still extant, <laughs> although you are dissuaded from going there. Except to the Omnibus 
group on Facebook, the Futurelings, and I'm guessing it's pretty Zuckerbergianism free. Is there a the two there, heresies of Muskianism and Zuckerbergianism must be combated with a third way? They stay out of there. If you get, if you get too musky in the Futurelings group, they'll come down on you. You have to find us in uh, what, what's the Tertullianism of social media? We don't know yet. It could be Hive. It could be Mastodon. Post. It could be Mastodon. I wonder if there are Futurelings. Uh, if there's Futurelings content popping up in those places, should we get on Gas? I, you know, I'm still not on TikTok. Is am I missing something? Is it no. just Vine? I thought you were going to say, is it just vibes? Is it just vibes? Is it just vibes? Yeah, pretty much. Do you remember Black Vine? It was the greatest thing of the about the internet. And when they shut down Vine, I thought it was a whole conspiracy to keep all those young black people from having such a right. wonderful time. Having cool videos. I really loved it there. And I don't want to go to TikTok and just get disappointed again when, some, when, when the, all the great stuff goes away. As we speak in autumn 2022, the hot new thing is gas whereby uh, high school students can say nice, only nice things about people from their school. Basically, you give people nice upvotes, and you can't even write anything, because then if you write something, you could say something mean or racist or uh, uh, homophobic or whatever. But it's like Club Penguin. You can just send people a happy thought or message. There's another option, which is just shut up. Don't do any of that stuff. Just have five friends and... And hang out with them. You could go up to them in person and give yeah. them validations. Yeah, no be, one's gonna, no one's gonna stop you from doing that, especially after a few drinks. Just, give, just be a good friend. You don't have to give anything a thumbs up. Keep your thumbs to yourself. What if it's a real thumbs up? What if you see somebody across the room and you're like, "Hey, hey buddy, thumbs up." I think how's that that's going? good. I think you, I think you can even wave to somebody across the street and be like, "Hey." But beyond that, none of this is necessary. Stop it. <sighs> Except now we got to come down from it. We're on yeah. our, we're on our heroin high of like. A hundred people sending me um, rolling on the floor laughing emojis every day. I know. And how? Do, what's my methadone for that? It's not going to be some bozo across the street giving me a thumbs up. That's not going to do it anymore. Yeah. I had I had thousands. Yeah. All those thumbs up. Like tears and rain. Like tears and rain. Uh, you can find at Ken Jennings uh, still doing his thing. And uh, if you go look for me, I don't know. You'll just be disappointed. Leave it. You can email us, though, at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. We do read every email, uh, and we are and we print them out <laughs> because, because we're just old enough that we need to print out emails. Here's me crinkling all the emails you sent, right? <laughs> uh, you can, as we said, hang out with other futurelings on the internet, just giving thumbs up, no arguing, and uh, interestingly... You can only post so many non sequiturs on the Futurelink site before people start saying, what are the point of these posts? Uh, I've been seeing a few of those like, what does this have to do with anything? Oh, are we going to come back to stricter moderation? Maybe. Hope not. Uh, you can mail us actual things, physical things, physical thumbs up at P.O. Box 55744 Shoreline, Washington 98155. Ken, sounds like you're going through the old mailbag there. I have a few things I think you'll enjoy. Although, I can't find the one that I know in my heart you'll enjoy the most. It may be saved for a future show, because what did I do with it? But um, John sent us, uh, from Amazon, a copy of Richard Powers' Pulitzer-winning novel, The Overstory. Okay, about trees. Which I believe uh, played heavily into the... uh, the Mother Trees. How did it show. get here so fast? Well, that's the beauty of uh, of Amazon. That's the beauty of Bezosianism. The mm-hmm. the third heresy <laughs> is it's got a drone army, unlike 
unlike the others. Um, the the you know how you can put a little gift message on your card. Yes. In re episode five sixteen, Mother Trees entry. Well, he's a completist. Entry eight ten dot l k two one two nine certificate number four six one six two. Continued on other card. There is no other card. He Whoa. he used all his his Bezos allotment to put the full registration number of the wow of the entry. What a mystery. Uh, I hope he knows there's no other card and he's doing a bit. Because continued on another card is a very funny bit. That is a funny bit. It's it would be almost like a thing that said, "See other side" <laughs> on both sides. <laughs> uh, and Mike sent us a pamphlet, a little bit homemade looking. Oh, and a postcard about the concrete ship Atlantis, the concrete ships of the early 1900s. Uh, I live near this particular ship, and it is disappearing quickly. Oh, oh, like the what is it? The Philadelphia? What's the aircraft carrier that went through, traveled through time? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, is this a uh, is this a situation like a Michael J. Fox thing, where where somebody went back in time and and now the concrete ship is slowly disappearing, it's fading out of photos? Well, it's still in this postcard. It's, you know, it's, there used to be a concrete ship docked in the port of Anchorage that we used to go to, mired in the mud. Anchored? It was anchored there. Uh oh, he, he it just seems to be crumbling. Mo- yeah, Mother Nature is not kind when a hull of concrete is left uh to can't read it in the Delaware Bay. Yeah, that makes sense. Feel free to visit sometimes when well, we have an invitation to Delaware, I believe, if you were waiting for one. Delaware Bay is uh it has a very strong pH. That might also be part of the problem. Is that true? I mean, if you've ever been there, you wouldn't be surprised. It's a bay of vinegar. Remains of experimental concrete ship. One of 12 built during World War I. We never did the concrete ships, or did, or did we? No. no. Well, perhaps... Next time. Perhaps, uh... Who is this from? Perhaps Mike is lobbying for it. Somebody reminded me today that Cumberland, Maryland is not close to the Cumberland Gap. And I conflated the two in our... In our, uh... uh Jamestown flood episode. I did this on Jeopardy the other day. Uh, I said Yellowstone County, Montana was near Yellowstone Park. It's nowhere near Yellowstone oh, Park. Busted. Luckily, uh, the Venn diagrams of Montana and Jeopardy viewers <laughs> seems to be pretty. <laughs> no, they love it there. But I only got one angry email so far. There are a lot of uh, there are a lot of fans of Omnibus in the Kentucky, West Virginia, Maryland area. So I'm sure I'm going to hear a lot about it. Colonels all. And I, I found the one letter you will like, but oh, we're out of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can support the show, um, and there, I can't think of any reason why you couldn't, go to patreon.com slash Omnibus Project and, uh, and join at whatever level you feel most comfortable. I know that some of you think that Ken is some kind of billionaire and all he does is... is waft over here on a on a uh, raft made out of row Bitcoin? Yeah, yeah money a, a, a money raft my golden raft uh that's uh yeah has has delicious caviar as a bed but in fact no um i'm really struggling because of my poor investment <laughs> he's strategy. not really he's not really but uh but i am and so anyway <laughs> tighten your belts support the show at patreon.com to omnibus slash omnibus Prime. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come, but if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. 
But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.